Today's secret password is rhubarb. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Doug Bursch and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. Well, we've got some new stories to talk about. A large container ship has run aground in the Suez, 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 the Suez Canal. We'll look at that story and how one ship can stop the world from moving forward. Uh, also, life on Mars, a colony on Mars. Is that a good idea? We'll talk about that and some strange object they're sending to Mars. And we'll talk about how to get your life unstuck with the momentum of God on today's show. glad you could join us today. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not just trying to make you feel good. I genuinely am happy when anyone ever listens to one of these shows. I don't consider my words to be more worthy of being listened to than anyone else's. And by the way, since everyone on the face of the earth now has a podcast, the fact that you're listening is pretty amazing. Uh, it's pretty much this. Everyone records a podcast and passes it to the person on the right of them. But I'm going to keep doing this as long as people listen. And even if they don't listen, I might still do it. You might find me in my 80s in some sort of retirement facility doing a podcast that no one's recording, but I just like to be in front of this mic. So on today's show, we're going to talk about a few things. We've got some news stories, uh, and then we're going to transition those news stories into maybe a spiritual principle a lesson for life, sort of a, a VeggieTales kind of thing of what have we learned from today's show, or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just have some fun talking about different stories. We'll we'll see how things go. Hey, speaking about having fun, uh, big things are going on in my life, and I, I got to talk about it. Uh, I received a box of the first uh, printed versions of my book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What we can do about it. And I got to tell you, I am really excited, really happy about it. Big deal for me. I had not seen an actual hard copy, I guess it's not hard copy, paperback copy of the book. There's no weird mistakes. The picture on the back, I, I look pretty much like the picture. I think, <laughs> I, think I might be uh, 10 pounds heavier than the picture. But you know, you do your best in a season of COVID and lockdown. But I am so excited for people to be able to read that book, and I really would like you to read it. If at all you're interested in the polarization, the divided realities of social media, I try to give some research on why that's the case, why the technology is polarizing us, and hopefully I provide ways for you to be able to communicate in a better manner, a more reconciling manner in your social media presence. Of course, the book launches April 20th, but you can pre-order it. And as you know, pre-orders are just far more anointed, right? Okay, so uh, this is what I want to... Let's, let's get to some news stories here. First one, this is from AP. Uh, so Cape Canaveral, Florida. A piece of the Wright Brothers' first airplane is on Mars. This is according to Marcia Dunn. NASA's experimental Martian helicopter 
holds a small swatch of fabric from the 1903 Wright Flyer, uh, the space of oh, the Wright Flyer. That's what the uh, the brothers, uh, the Wright brothers. Um, that's I guess what they called it, the Wright Flyer. And so, you know, I'm glad it flew right. Otherwise, that would have been ironic. The space agency revealed Tuesday that they have a little swatch, a swatch of fabric from that plane. Are, and it's now on this helicopter, which I didn't even realize. I guess I wasn't paying attention, but they actually have landed a helicopter on Mars, and they're going to try to use that. The helicopter named Ingenuity hitched a ride to the Red Planet with the Perseverance rover, arriving last month. So the rover has a little helicopter on it. I wonder why they call it a helicopter versus a drone, but anyway, that's what it is. Ingenuity will attempt to f uh, the first powered controlled flight on another planet no sooner than April 8th. Uh, it'll mark a Wright Brothers moment, noted Bobby Braun, Director for Planetary Science at NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratories. In a related story, my model rocket I made in the fifth grade uh, was thrown away by my parents, never to be seen again. Um, here's my struggle with this. Uh, it seems to me that actually NASA is maybe attempting to help Martians invade uh, the Earth. I know they don't talk about it. You know, there's probably not Martians on Mars, or at least ones that we can see. But they talk about, you know, is there water there? It, could it possibly have been inhabited? But it seems to me this this is the first step, right? There, uh, maybe these Martin these Martians aren't very advanced. We always have this idea that if there's life on any other planet, they're more advanced than us. But maybe it's the other way around. And so NASA is trying to help them invade us. You know, first we'll give them the Wright Brothers technology. Yeah, first it's a piece of fabric. Then maybe it's a, a wing. Maybe it's the rover itself that they can find and figure out what that is. But anyway, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not that comfortable with NASA sending to Martians our trade secrets when it comes to flight. Here's the other big thing. I'm all excited about this Mars trip. I, I think that's amazing that we're trying to send people to Mars, but I'm very skeptical about the outcomes. So the ultimate goal is to actually have people live on Mars, right? You've heard about that. And they want to do this sooner than later. First, you got to get, I guess, a couple people to go there. But the thing about traveling to Mars is it's kind of a one-way ticket. It's not that feasible to send people to Mars and then have them come back to the Earth and just travel back and forth, or at least... In our current technology, it's not that feasible. And so I am not trying to be a naysayer, although what will follow is a lot of nay. Um, I just, I, I want it to succeed, but I don't think it's going to succeed. I mean, this, this whole concept of living on Mars, people can't live on an island on Earth with each other for a month, even when they have a chance to win $1 million. We've all seen these reality shows, right? They're on TV. They have, they have the ability to be popular. Even if they don't win a $1 million, if they're just decent people, they can have a whole celebrity reality television future, and yet they can't get along with each other for one month or even one week or just a couple days. And we expect that people are going to go and just live on Mars. And, and here's the other issue. The kind of people who want to leave everything behind here and go to Mars might not be the best people to form a new society. Uh, you know, even in the westward expansion, sure, they were people that got together and let's build a town church and let's, you know, build a, I don't know if it was community center. I think they just called it a saloon, but you know, <laughs> let's build these places where we can gather. 
But for every person like that, there were 10 other people who were just like, I don't want to be around anyone. The reason I'm moving west is I don't like my in-laws. I don't like my parents. I, I just don't want any of this. And so they're, they're building a house on 100 acres and just, you know, living out there by themselves. For them, you know, community is maybe going, you know, hooking up the wagon and getting hardtack. Is that what you call it? These sound like old-timesy things. I hope they're right. You know, in town, go to the country store and get some flour. So I just don't think that this is going to work when it comes to Mars, because everybody's going to have to get along, right? They're going to have to build a society. You can't get on Mars and say, you know what, I'm just heading over there and no one bother me. That That's not how it's going to work. Can you imagine all the excitement for these people? They're probably going to be really pumped, you know. Can you imagine the excitement as you head out? with everybody who's going to Mars, and then the guy next to you on the ship starts talking about his love of Lord of the Rings trilogies. You know, like he's just getting, he's one of those really big Lord of the Ring trilogy guys. And about 10 to 20 minutes into his detailed description of what makes Lord of the Rings far better than The Hobbit, you begin to reassess the wisdom of agreeing to spend the rest of your life on Mars with a guy who probably hasn't spent much of his life outside his parents' basement. I mean, what will they do? This is the thing. What will they do? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to attack exploration. I'm not trying to go after you Trekkies who want the world to be discovered and eventually there to be a future where we're all in these onesies and just living in peace and harmony with each other on the ship, but, you know, still having trouble with the Klingons. Is it Klingons or Klingons? I don't know. Anyway, I... I I'm not trying to downplay that reality, but we have to be honest. I mean, what will they do when the first big event happens? Like the first crime or murder. Now, I assume if it's the Lord of the Rings guy, they probably won't do anything. and It'll bring them all together and there'll be some great group cohesion. <laughs> but what about the other stuff? Like marriage and divorce and petty crimes. Uh, people aren't going to suddenly become utopian in their natures once they land on a different planet. I mean, basically what they're going to need to do is have some detailed instructions, like here's all the things you can do, everything you can touch and eat. Just please don't eat from the one tree which is placed in the middle of the space station. And I'm sure everything <laughs> will go just fine. So I could be wrong on that. Just put put a note you know, on your calendar. On this day, Doug said, probably not a good idea. I, it really makes me nervous. I, I know how it's going to be. We're going to be all excited. There's going to be this group, group of people on the ship, and we're like, yay, we're going to colonize Mars. And then what? How many months into this, we're going to get some, some really troubling news, and everybody's going to be like, well, you know, that's that's their problem. They're the ones who signed up for that trip, not me. Okay, here's another a new story. Speaking of a trip, uh, particularly a trip that's not going very well. Um, shipping loses... Uh, oh, here it says, because this container ship uh, has run aground in the Suez Canal. Is it Suez? 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 In the, the, I can't spell it. The Suez Canal. Um, because it's run aground, it's basically uh, stopping where they have 150 vessels. Now, this happened on Tuesday, uh, if you're listening to the show on March 25th. But it happened Tuesday... And uh, they haven't been able to get it unstuck. It's Thursday. It's still stuck, or at least it was stuck uh, Thursday morning. They may have made great progress in the last couple hours since the story came out. But 150 vessels are backed up. AP has looked at some reports 
that there's probably another 300 vessels of these giant container ships that are also impacted by uh, basically the container ship just turned sideways, ran aground, and is completely blocking the canal. Uh, as you know, uh, the canal is a man-made canal dividing continental Africa from the Sinai Peninsula. And um, they've even waited for the tides to change. They've come along and pushed alongside it. They've used um, a, a, a digger of some, of some sort to try to, you know, expand from the bank, you know, to move the sand. They even brought in 12 eight-year-old boys with, with um, buckets, you know, the ones who like to go to the ocean and just make huge sandcastles. They brought them in. Those kids have made more progress, but still have been, been unable to move uh, the ship. They say it's going to impact supply lines for months. Now, before you attack whoever was piloting this ship, and I know that's not your nature, you wouldn't do that, but maybe you're like, you know, who's the idiot who did this? Well, actually, for I think for all these ships, you actually, as you go into the canal, they have pilots come aboard who help you steer through the canal. And this one had two pilots from Egypt's Canal Authority aboard the vessel to guide it when it ran aground at 7.45 a.m. on Tuesday. They th one of the things, you know, they're not necessarily letting people know what happened. There was, you know, some uh, speculation that it might have lost power, but no one has confirmed that. So that's just hearsay. That's not been confirmed. In fact, it's even been denied. But one thing that has been confirmed is as it was heading into the canal, um, they were dealing with 30 mile per hour winds. That's 50 kph for those of you who do not live in America. I don't know what kph stands for. Uh, I'm an American. Uh, we use miles and we use feet and inches and pounds because we hold on to things even if they don't make any sense. Uh, but anyway, 30 mile per hour winds. Uh, so this made me think about the fact that ships do not just stop on a dime. Have, if you've ever tried to, it doesn't matter whether you had a rowboat or <laughs> you're out with uh, a, a, you know, a boat with just a small engine on it and you try to stop, right? You're coming up to, some of you, this is a traumatic experience, right? You, you try to stop and boats don't stop. There's no brake on them. You, you got to either thrust forward or you have to do reverse thrust. And so that's a very different thing than if you're driving a car, right? With a car, put on the brakes, you can stop. You can even just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Put on the brakes, let's just wait. Let's think about what we're doing. Um, one of the terrors of uh, when you're first piloting a boat, and I am not a boat pilot, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the, the terror is you learn as you go. There's no like stopping on, on land before the boat's moving, you know, when it's docked, when it's just stationary, they tell you things, right? You know, this is how you go forward. You know, you push this thing forward, you go backward, you stop the, and even if you stop the engine, the boat doesn't stop, right? When your car engine stops, uh, you know, if you're, unless you're on a hill going, you know, going downhill, your car can stop and you certainly have brakes as well. So you learn all that, but then once you get out on the water, you're moving forward. And I think anybody who's been on a boat for the first time or tried to driven a boat for the first time, you get that terror of <laughs> you're just heading towards the dock or you're heading towards dry land or you're heading towards another vessel and there's nothing you can do. You can't just break. You have to find a way to either reverse or turn course. Now, the only thing that does stop a boat is you can drop anchor. 
But even uh, depending on how you know high the water is or the, the water levels, how many fathoms it is to the bottom of the sea, the ocean, or the lake, uh, you might not be able to drop an anchor far enough. And even if you do, if you're going really fast, that anchor might just drag along the bottom of the ocean or sea floor. Nope, you need to actually, you actually need power to move forward and power to go backwards. And I, th I think of this as a powerful spiritual principle because I think it's really true in if we're heading in the wrong direction, if we're stuck in a place, if we're moving where we don't want to move, there's, there's no breaks. There's no just, well, I'm just going to stop doing this. You really need a force to stop you moving in that direction. You need a, not just an equal force, you need a force that's even stronger than the force that's been moving you in the wrong direction. You need power to thrust you forward or to thrust you backwards, depending upon which direction you're going or which is the wrong direction. We know in James that, uh, James talks about that, you know, in some ways, God is like a rudder that can steer a ship, even though the ship is is very large and the seas might be great, you can have a small rudder that will steer the ship. Well, we know a rudder is good, but you still need something that moves you forward or backwards, something to harness the energy. We know before you had powered boats with sail, sailboats, you still had to put the, you know, the, the sails up in such a way that you gain some energy that moves you in a different direction. Or you put the sails down, stop the energy that's moving you in that direction, and you wait for the ship to slowly come to a stop. It's, it's not sudden. And I think for Christians, when it comes to our own trials in life, we not only want breaks, but we want things to stop immediately. We want to be done with it. But that's not how it works. In fact, we need a power that is greater than the waves, greater than the wind, greater than the storm, and greater than our present momentum if we're going to change course. And it sometimes takes time for that power to move us in another direction. There's still the momentum of going the wrong way. Sometimes when we are going in the wrong direction, we try to simply put the brakes on and stop the behavior. But life is seldom that easy. There are reasons that we've been moving in the wrong direction for you. If you're in the wrong direction, find yourself in the wrong place, and at any level, your personal life, your marriage, your kids, or work, whatever it is, you, you realize this is not, I don't want to be going in this direction. This is, I'm heading for the rocks, I'm heading for danger, or I'm in a part of the sea or the ocean, a part of my life or a place that I never thought I would be. There's a reason that you're heading in that direction. You might be, it might be the environment you're in that you've faced some winds and waves and storms, you know, COVID, man, that's an environment that has made some of us feel like we're going in the wrong direction, that we have not a, lot, not a lot of control about where we're going. There's a certain spiritual energy you might have put towards something. You, might, you know, if you haven't been following the Lord or you've been following the wrong things, there's still an energy, there's still something you've been serving, whether you've been serving greed or power or fear or Satan. You've been serving something that is a force or a power that is moving you in the wrong direction. And to overcome that wrong direction, we can't just put the brakes on. We actually need an energy to move us 
in the opposite direction. We need an opposite force. If, if it's a forward thrust, we need a reverse thrust. If we've been going in reverse and we need to go forward, we need a power that helps us go forward. And, and this might seem really simple, but I think we miss this with intimacy with God. We often teach principles. You shouldn't do this, you should do that. Uh, you shouldn't focus on this, you should focus in on that. But we miss where the power comes from. The power comes from relationship. The power comes from being with Christ. And I think instead of making more plans, like if your life's going the wrong direction, instead of making a list of here's the 10 things I need to do differently, or here's the five steps to a better me, maybe you need to access the power, the right power. Maybe you need to spend time with Jesus. Maybe you need to welcome Jesus. You know, I end uh, almost every sermon. Well, actually, I don't necessarily do this. Our church has a culture where someone says it during our service. But we say, make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. See, we make room for the Lord because uh, this relationship is not, or this life isn't just a bunch of rules that we follow or principles for healthy living. We make room for Jesus because Jesus came to empower us. He came to not just forgive us of our sins, but to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we could walk in accordance with his ways. We need that power to move us forward. And before we just start taking steps of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, or, or the panic of, you know, just make it stop, Lord, make it stop, make it stop. We need to say, we welcome you, Lord. We welcome your presence. We welcome your spirit. You know, I think we also have to remind ourselves that it sometimes takes time to stop our forward momentum. That even when we recognize we're going in the wrong direction, there's still consequences of the power that has pushed us in that direction. And this is something I don't think we take seriously enough because when it comes to healing, when it comes to new directions, even when we recognize we're going the wrong direction, we may still drift in that direction a while until the opposite force or power takes hold of the momentum of our life. It means we might even still run aground. We might realize we're going in the wrong direction, we're doing the wrong things, we're going to run aground, and we can yield our life to the Lord and ask God to move us in the other direction, but there is a momentum of consequences, of actions and reactions, where we're still going to hit that reef or hit the ground, or, you know, run aground. Or we're going to still st see ourselves in places moving in a direction that we don't want to move in. Things will slow down. But it's a process. I find this when it comes to Christians who make changes in their life, that we are unwilling to invest the time necessary to reverse course, that it takes time to reverse course. Now, I believe God can radically transform a life. But the consequences of not living for God, they have a residual effect. There is a momentum to those consequences that you're going to have to deal with even after you've yielded your life to Christ. But I found this, you know, people who, let's say, have not surrendered to the Lord at all. They're just living for themselves. And then they come and they hear a message and they maybe they come to the altar and I pray for them. And they say, you know what, I have not been living for God. I want to live for God now. I want to surrender my life. 
and seek him. That's great. That is a definite, you know, uh, let's stop moving in this direction. They stop the engine. They move it in a different direction. There's a new power, a new force to move them in a healthier direction. But it's amazing that sometimes people want immediate results. They've been going 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years in one direction under their own power, under their own selfishness, under, under their own just abandoning God's will for their life. And they hand over the engine of their life to God for a day, a week, or a month. And then they get frustrated. You know, I've been following the Lord, but my marriage is still awful. And I'll be like, uh, how long have you been following the Lord? Well, a whole month. I'm like, how long have you been married? Oh, five years. Ten years. So you think a, a whole month is going to overcome all the casualties of living for yourself for those five years or ten years or twenty years. See, part of faith is committing that, you know what? I have been going in the wrong direction for so long that I can be forgiven and set free, and God can be now directing me in a new direction, but there's, you know what? I'm just going to have to live by faith because there are going to be consequences to the rebellions in my life. But I'm just not going back. I'm going to let God drive this ship. I'm going to let him turn the momentum of my marriage, turn the momentum of my parenting. You know, people who there's anger and just lots of hatred between them and their kids. And we say, well, maybe you've been parenting the wrong way. Maybe you need to bring more grace and love and the kindness of God, not be full of just a bunch of legalism and anger and bitterness. And, and they agree with that, but they agree with it for a week or a month or even a year. If you've been parenting a kid a certain way for 16 years, are you going to expect that suddenly they're going to change? They might never, that you might be so hardwired what you did in those first 16 years that you're going to have struggles the rest of their life, but at least they will see when they become adults and when they finally figure things out that you changed and you grew and they can grow as well. It's true of our own spiritual direction. It's not just, you know, oh, well, I feel good and feel inspired by the Lord. It's I'm just no longer going to run this ship. I'm going to let God steer it. I'm going to let his power uh, direct me in the direction I need to go. But I'm telling you, there is this drift that will still occur after you surrender to the Lord where the consequences of the sins you've done against yourself and against others will still express themselves. And you must be it, be in it for the long haul. It takes time to stop the ship. Or in the context of the Suez Canal, it takes time to move a ship that's been run aground. Reminds me of Psalm uh, 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. Patiently. Does anyone want to wait patiently? I mean, honestly, does anyone want to wait patiently? We want immediate fruit. You know, even if you use growing uh, metaphors, we want something you can plant and see a harvest in that year, right? You, you plant in the spring and in the summer, you harvest. But God is calling some of you to changes where you're not going to see the true fruit of this for a long time. He's calling you to plant a tree or many trees, and they're just going to be seedlings and saplings and just these tiny little trees, and it's only going to take 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe even long after you are gone from this earth, 
until the full expression of that obedience turns into this big cedar or this large forest of righteousness. This requires that we wait patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he reached down to me and heard my cry. There's no way around that. Patiently means this took time. Patiently meant I just surrendered to the Lord, and then, you know, God did what he wanted to do in the timetable he wanted to do it, and I lived with the consequences of my life regardless. He reached down to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud, and he set my feet on a rock. Making my footsteps firm, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. You know, Acts 1.8, Jesus says this so well. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. Jesus says, before you go out and do anything, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit so that you can witness me. This is witness in the, in the context of like witnessing a crime, witnessing an event. Jesus says, before you go out and do anything, you need to witness me. And if you witness me here in Jerusalem, when you're scattered, you'll witness me in Judea. When you're scattered from Judea, you'll witness me in Samaria. I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. You need me to move forward. And we need Jesus right now. We need to witness him. We need to witness his presence, his power, his leading to change course. Before we adopt a bunch of rules and laws and regulations, before we start preaching different things and teaching different things and going out and doing the kingdom work, we're supposed to wait. And waits where we are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us witness Christ. And as we see Christ... We can move forward and change course in our life. Sound good? Sure it does. Hey, I love you guys. Thank you for listening uh, to today's show. Trying to encourage you, a little news story, some truth. Hope it helps. Please pick up my book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. God knows you by name. He loves you dearly. So make room for him. He will help you reverse course. He will be good to you. Okay? Love you guys. I'll see you next time.